Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hopefully everyone's feeling good, going to make it happen. This is Maximize Your Influence, Kurt Mortensen here, podcast 482, creeping to 500. We're going to do something really special for episode 500. So hey, have you ever been the underdog, the little guy, you heard about the Cinderella story, long shot, the dark horse? How can you use that to your advantage when you're the smaller guy, the smaller company? How could you persuade people to be on your side? Because naturally, we want to root for the underdog, that dark horse. We love it when it's a long shot and people win. It's also called the David versus Goliath effect. We're going to talk about it. So I hope everyone's having an incredible week. You're achieving your goals. You're making it happen. You're becoming more influential. You're getting the promotions. You're winning the negotiations. You're more persuasive. Growing your business. All comes back to persuasion, motivation, influence, mindset. Let's get into it. Let's start off, listener email. Oh, boy. And the geeky article of the week. They go together. This was sent to me from Pete from Australia. And by the way, send me an email. Kurt, K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We use something on the show. You get the gold version of InfluenceUniversity.com. Check it out for the advanced influence training. Also, as you know, MaximizeYourInfluence.com is the place to take your free Persuasion IQ assessment and get all the information you need to take your life and your influence to the next level. So, this was sent to me for my evaluation. People wanted to know if this was manipulation, if it was fair, what I thought. You know, I don't know if we really deal with fair, we just have to deal with reality. <laughs> A lot of things in life aren't fair. A lot of new trends people feel aren't fair, but they are reality. But let's take a look at it. So this comes from Pete from Australia and businessinsider.com. Of course, all the links we'll put with the podcast. So this is known as the coffee cup test. And some people love it. Some people think it's manipulation or a mind game or something as we've talked about last week, a psychopath might do. So this has gone viral actually on social media. This is during the, a job interview. It's called the coffee cup test. And he uses this to filter candidates in job interviews. Now, I've done a lot of job interviews in my life. I've trained people how to do job interviews. And a lot of times when you have 100 people to work with or 50 people, you have to have come up with quick ways to kind of filter it. Are they always fair? Maybe not. But this was really interesting. Again, he's accused of playing mind games and manipulating. But I think I kind of like this as an interesting way of looking at it. Oh, so this was done in Australia. Hence, coming from Australia. So he'll only hire people that pass the coffee cup test. So what happens is he brings the candidates in for a tour, it sounds like, of the office. They go into the kitchen and he offers them a drink. Water, coffee, cup of tea, soft drink. Right? Gives them something. Although I don't know what he does if they don't take it. Maybe they're just not hireable if they're not willing to drink a beverage. So then they take this beverage back to the interview room. And all he's looking for at the end of the interview... If that person wants to take the empty cup back to the kitchen. So his model is you can develop skills, you can gain knowledge, you can gain experience, but it really does come down to attitude. So that's his thing. Attitude, helpful attitude, I guess. Always clean up after yourself. And that's what I keep telling 
college students, as we look at these interviews, a lot of these online interviews, is that your degree, is it going to help you get a job? And they look at me, uh, <laughs> and I say, well, your degree will get you in the door, it'll get you the interview, but then personality, influence, people skills, EQ, attitude for most people is going to get you the job. Now, if you're a hardcore accountant or engineer, you're probably going to need the degree and that knowledge, and you, they need to make sure you know that knowledge. But for most people that interview for jobs, they've got to learn something anyway. But it did say most candidates did offer to take back their cup. There was only a few that didn't. And if you didn't, you're off the list. So it's interesting the comments. One person says, if an employer plays mind games like this, it's an immediate red flag for me. Well, <laughs> another person says, well, that signals a toxic work environment. <laughs> I mean, you have to have something to weed people out. A lot of companies now are using these crazy off-the-chart questions that have no solution just to see how you think. I remember interviewing with Pizza Hut. It was Pizza Hut Corporate. I was an ad man, advertising. That was my undergraduate degree. Their question, I still remember to this day, is like, all right, USA Today went out of business. All the papers in a warehouse. How would you market all these old newspapers to the people in Alaska. <laughs> wow. In fact, when I do public speaking courses on a university level, one of the exercises is actually a mock online interview. It is the trend, so they got to get ready for it. And one of the questions I ask, you don't tell them because it's supposed to be a surprise. And it's funny to see the video of their faces when you ask this question. If you were shrunk down to the size of a pencil and you were stuck in a blender, how would you get out? Right? There's no right answer, but thinking on your feet, going with it, not starting to cry. My big question is when I interview for my company, when I find out what their thing is, if it's a sport, let's say they golf. And I'll just say, all right, what golf club best describes your personality and why? I don't care what club it is. I just want to see spontaneity. I want to see creativity. I want to see thinking on your feet. I want to see people coming up with answers. That's the key. It tells you a lot about the person. And my other go-to question is something like, what were you listening to in your car on the way in? If it's music, no. Not in my world with what I do. I want to know they're listening to audiobooks or to podcasts. What's the last book you read? Tell me about your personal development program. It tells me so much about a person. Those are my go-to questions. So, you know, everyone has their thing. Henry Ford, you know Ford Motor Cars? When he took uh, potential executives to lunch... He would eat with them, and he was looking for one thing. If you salted your food before you tasted it, you were off the list. He hated people that would prejudge. <laughs> they didn't know if it needed salt. They salted it before they even ate it. That was his thing. Some people look at shoes. Some people look at your watch. And one that was big for me is how do they treat the receptionist? You see, receptionists and assistants have pretty good people radars, EQ radars. I would always ask my assistant, what'd you think? How'd they treat you? Did you like them? That tells you a lot about a person. So there's your article. Just know people are looking for things. And if you're in a job interview promotion situation, try to gauge what they're looking for. Which brings us to the Persuasion Ninja. And I'm going to take it. I just remembered this the other day, and part of it was last week's podcast, we talked about psychopaths and how they can be really good at persuasion and connecting and emotional intelligence, reading others, not feeling emotions themselves. 
And I talked about putting frosting on a rock, <laughs> and that triggered a memory. So sixth grade, I don't know if you remember being in elementary school, it was Negotiationville. And you're like, what? Yeah, at lunchtime, if you had something tasty and good, you could negotiate a lot of different things from physical items to money to swapping food. That's where you literally learn to negotiate as kids is, I think, in the lunchroom. This was in California. This was always outside. We rarely ate inside. So we're out there. We just negotiated. So I don't know if my mom remembers this, but she made this cake. It was a beautiful cake. And she had run out of cooking flour, regular flour, and she used some wheat flour on it and uh, just thinking it would be okay. So this cake looked beautiful, but it didn't taste good. The wheat flour just didn't go well. It didn't taste good. So here you have this beautiful cake and it tastes bad. So I brought this cake. She wanted to throw it out. It was nasty. I'm like, no, 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 I'll, I'll take it. Chocolate cake. I mean, <laughs> frosting. Remember, it didn't taste very good. So I negotiated incredible deal, <laughs> gave them the cake. And of course they tasted it. And they were upset. I'm like, hey, what, what are you talking about, huh? <laughs> and uh, I did this the next day, too, to another person. But then after that, the blunder part is these people would not negotiate with me anymore. Even if I was to bring a cake that tasted good, they were skeptical now. So you got to be careful with negotiation. Now, sometimes it's one and done if you're in Mexico on a foreign trip, on a cruise. You can use some harsh tactics. And you shouldn't deceive people. I felt at the time I wasn't being deceptive because I didn't say it tasted good or bad. It was just kind of neutral. But as you think about it, probably, yeah, cross the line. So the blunder part is <laughs> reputation. You're probably going to see the person again, especially if you're negotiating internally. You got to be very, very careful. So I would always take the high road, admit what you need to admit so you don't fall into the blunder part. Hey, the ninja, I negotiate. I got some great deals, but then it turned into a blunder to where they wouldn't negotiate, they wouldn't trust me anymore, and that is the challenge. So let's get into our main topic today. How do you influence as the underdog? What if you're the smaller company, that dark horse? Again, also known as the David and Goliath effect. So you can use that to your advantage. If you're a smaller company, Admit it. Yeah, we're smaller. Turn that weakness into a strength. People love the underdog. People love it when the team predicted to lose wins. So let's talk about it. Sometimes it's called the dark horse. And I looked that up. I mean, where does this come from? Dark horse? What does that really mean? Well, this comes from England, horse racing, the derby. The popular better horses were assigned lighter and more popular colors, while the less favored horses were assigned the dark colors, hence dark horse. And we love to root for the underdog, that dark horse. I mean, you, you probably have football teams, college, professional, any sports team that always wins and you always go against them. Or that quarterback that we all know they're the best, but you go against them. Come on, we want somebody else to win. Rudy, Miracle on Ice, Apollo 13, Nelson Mandela, Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi... The Blind Side, Pursuit of Happiness, all movies were, yeah, we're win. I mean, we hate movies with a bad ending or a tough ending. We want a victory. If you see movies like Perfect Storm, oh, they're out in the ocean, Perfect Storm, got to get back to their families and they all die? Really? Except for two hours for everybody to be dead? No. Or Rogue One, it's a Star Wars. 
And I get it as part of it. People love it. They get mad when I say it, but I'm like, really? Everyone dies at the end. In people's mind, they died for a good cause, but still, I'm like, come on, we want a victory. So you look at the word underdog, it comes from sports, dog fighting, referring to the dog that was expected to lose was the underdog. So the strong dog was top dog or overdog. The weaker dog was the underdog. Hence the term we use in uh, business, we use it in sports, the underdog. Now with that too is the David and Goliath effect is that people enjoy witnessing the unexpected. They love to root for the person they think is going to lose or the team. They love that suspense and the surprise. Now, Malcolm Gladwell talks about it. He's the author. He actually has a book called David and Goliath that talks about this. If you don't know the story of David and Goliath, let me tell you, it goes to the Old Testament Bible, ancient Israel, and it's the story of the underdog, someone defying all odds. So basically, the Philistines and the Israelites were at war. They were opposing sides, let's say the valley. And the Philistines were known as a battle-hardened people force. And they had this huge giant. And I think some people predicted over seven foot, this big person named Goliath, who had armor, nobody could beat them, and would taunt the Israelites day and night. So they offered, look, here's Goliath. If anybody can beat him... And nobody would do it. There's no way. This big dude, this big warrior, all this armor. And then here comes this little young shepherd named David. And he was only on the battlefield to bring food to his brothers. And he heard Goliath's challenge and saw nobody was going to fight this person. He's like, I'll do it. No, you're a kid. You don't have experience. All you do is watch sheep all day. So the king of the Israelite army said, all right, go ahead, David. Guess the king didn't care, so they tried to put armor on him. Too heavy, too big, didn't like it. He's like, no. So he went out there, young skinny kid, wouldn't even bring a sword. All he had was a sling. Well, you swing around and you launch a rock at somebody. So he picked up some smooth stones, and of course they're laughing at this little kid, has a sling, no armor, huge Goliath. They're just mocking him, laughing at him. He gets his sling, swings it around, boom, rock to the middle of forehead, he falls over dead. <laughs> That's the David and Goliath effect. We love it when someone that you know is going to lose wins. So have you seen stories like this in the business world? You can use that. You could be the small corporation. Sure. You're quicker. You're faster. You won't get lost in the cracks. We'll get it done faster. We're more up to speed on this. You won't just be another number. You can turn these perceived weaknesses and turn them into strengths. So understand, use this. You don't have to be the biggest and the best and the fastest. I mean, that's good for social validation and people can leverage that. But if you're the underdog, the dark horse, buying from a local company instead of the big corporate giant, the David, people root for the underdog. Why? A lot of times it's just empathy. We identify with individuals, teams, companies that are disadvantaged. And we want to help out. We want to show empathy and compassion. We want to root for people that have setbacks or obstacles in their life. They can relate to the underdog struggle. That's why it's so good to have a story with your company. When you were the underdog, you're almost about to fail and you turn it around. We love that triumph of the human spirit, that perseverance, the resilience, the determination. When someone overcomes great odds, defy expectations... People are drawn to those stories. 
to that conquering human spirit, the power of human will. And face it too, a lot of people root for the underdog as a form of almost rebellion against the establishment, against the man, against the government, against this dominant force, against the person that was trying to squash him. See, it challenges that status quo. And people admire those that defy social expectations and norms. Because deep down, I think we wish we did it ourselves. We've always wanted to do that ourselves. And sometimes we gave up or didn't even try. And when other people do it, we want to be part of that. It's almost like it gives us a sense of justice. Human nature is that we gravitate to that story that involves that fight against oppression or the mean person or the big person or the bully or inequity. That is why people support the underdog. Now more than ever. You know, the one, the struggle, support, we want that person to succeed. So the whole underdog, dark horse, David and Goliath, this this narrative invokes strong emotions. Use it. It resonates with people. Now, if you're the biggest, the best, use that too. That's great social validation. But if you're on the opposite and you can show people that you persevered or you did something that gives them hope, that is the key. So how do you incorporate this in your persuasion, your sales? First of all, be open. When you reveal a perceived weakness, you turn it into a strength that actually increases trust. You can check that out in the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Let them know. Don't be afraid that, yeah, you're smaller, but you're going to get more personalized attention. You won't get lost in the crack. You'll get better customer service. You're more nimble. You're dealing directly with the decision makers, the people that are making it happen. We're going to tailor and customize this for you. And have a story. Now, if you've listened to these podcasts, you know story is off the charts persuasion tool. Use this in your story. How you were the underdog, that you came through, that you made it happen, that you won, that you were the David that beat the Goliath. Again, let them know as the dark horse, the underdog, you're more flexible, you're more adaptable, you can respond faster, you're there from them. Because deep down, we hate the big companies. So those are things that you can add to that. You can use that to foster a sense of community. For example, when Apple Computers was getting started, now they're the one out of the big boys, but when they got started, they were different. They were not the norm, but that's what people loved. It was different. It wasn't normal, but they had this community where you were an Apple user. There was a sense of belonging. People rallied around your brand. They recruited other people to purchase your brand. And they create a very supportive, loyal customer base that recruited other people. That's what you can use for the underdog. So do it. It gives you a way to connect with your customers, to differentiate your brand, be more persuasive, be more authentic. That is the key. This is the age of disruption. We like things that are different. You've got YouTube, largest content provider, and they don't create content. Uber. The largest taxi service in the world, they don't need taxis. Airbnb, the largest hotel service in the world, don't own any hotels. Bitcoin, one of the world's largest currencies, and there's no banks. This is disruption time. Use it, leverage it. So understand that being the underdog doesn't mean not being professional or not having good products or not taking care of quality. It's about leveraging your position to connect with customers, to persuade them on a deeper level. So there you have it. Thanks for being here. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. It can be found at iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all under Maximize Your Influence. And go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Click on this podcast. 
For the special, The Secrets of Charisma, The Power of Charisma, over 50% off. Because when you're charismatic, people want to be around you. They want to be influenced by you. And they'll support you as the underdog. So do it. Apply it. Make it happen. Become more influential. Become a better person. Become a better negotiator. And go out and persuade with power.